0: 1 Peter 5, verse 8, stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil who prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Welcome to the Brookwood Church Sunday Message Podcast. Today, we begin a new series. It's titled Spiritual Warfare, based on Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 20. The first message is entitled, Adversaries. Here's Senior Pastor Perry Duggar.
1: He's never lost a battle. Do you know that? That includes the battle for your life. He never will. Today we... Yes, go ahead. I, okay. We need to remember that, don't we? Especially in the hard days, the discouraging days. Today I begin a new series called Spiritual Warfare. Oh, oh, Yeah. Somebody, I like that. Who is that? Come on, come on. You come up here with me, I'm going to tell you. Um, Today's message is entitled Adversaries, and I'll point out several of the prime adversaries against our lives. Take out your program, if you haven't already, you see the theme verse, which is part of 1 Peter 5, 8, stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. I'm not sure in our culture, in our society, that we're convinced that Satan is seriously our great enemy. Are you? you are, they know it in India. I don't know that they know it in America. We name teams after demons and devils, and we play around with it, but Satan's serious. He's the enemy of our soul. He wars against our eternity, and the Bible takes him very seriously. The word devil, Greek diabolos, appears 33 times in the New International Translation, some different translations Use different, don't use devil, describe him and other things. But in the NIV, 33 times. And the name devil literally means, do you know? Anybody know? Who said that? That's right. Slanderer. False accuser. And devil is a translation of the Hebrew word Satan or "Satan." And the word Satan appears 53 times in the NIV. And it literally means an opponent or an adversary. You see the Bible's certain that the devil, Satan is real and he's opposed to us. Don't raise your hands, I'm not trying to embarrass you but I want you to think about this. Do you believe the devil is real? Do you believe He's a person who hates your soul. In 2009, I couldn't find a more recent survey, but one from 2009 by George Barna, surveyed 1,871 self-identified Christians. And he reported that 40% of that 1,800 strongly agreed 19% 19% agreed somewhat. So we're up to 59% who had a positive affirmation of this statement. Satan is not a living being, but he's a symbol of evil. Almost 60%. And we wonder why people are not serious about these issues. Now we see evidence that our culture doesn't believe in the threat that Satan or demons are, but the prevalence of Satan in TV and movies, I mean Lucifer, and they've got some good looking guy in there, music videos, that's become very popular to have some diabolical and that means of the devil some diabolical music video but these these media versions oh yeah recently disney's about to release an animation about a child of satan and satan is the embodiment of evil a being who seeks to separate us from God for entertainment. For entertainment. According to the Bible, which is a very different version, well, let me come back to that. I'm not through with that. Remember, I've been gone a while. We name teams devils or red, blue, demons. I wonder why we don't name our teams the liars, the adulterers, the thieves. Because Satan stimulates those behaviors in our midst. And for serious Christians, there's no room... To laugh at that, though it's a trivial matter. It's how the influence, the diabolical influence has permeated so many of our institutions in our culture, because we just laugh it off. It's not serious. But the Bible thinks it's serious. According to the Bible, Satan was created as a spirit being to serve God. Colossians 1.16. He rebelled against God and he was banished out of heaven. Luke 10.18, Isaiah chapter 14, Ezekiel chapter 28, 1 Timothy chapter 3. And the devil controls this world. Do you believe that? Through demons, fallen angels, John 12, 1 John 5. And demons are mentioned in the scripture 86 times. So if the scripture's true, then Satan and demons are real. He attacks Christians through temptation, persecution, discouragement. And then, you see, when they sin or fail, fall into his trap, swallow his lure, then he accuses them to God. God. Job chapter 1, Revelation chapter 12. Satan lies to create mistrust and division between God and people. In fact, John 8 says that he hates truth. There's no truth in him. He's a liar and the father of lies. Satan opposes us in several ways specific ways. Ephesians 2 points it out. Turn there. In this Bible available at Brookwood, it's um, page 942. Ephesians chapter 2. Well, I'll read it from up here because I like this translation, the contemporary English. In the past you were dead, speaking to unbelievers, because you sinned and fought against God. You followed the ways of this world, there's the first adversary, the world, and obeyed the devil, there's the second. He rules the world and his spirit has power over everyone who doesn't obey God. You realize that? Whenever you choose to disobey God, you've fallen under the devil's influence. Once we were also ruled by the selfish desires of our bodies and minds. That's the flesh. We had made God angry and we were going to be punished like everyone else. Now Satan uses these same strategies that he used on unbelievers to deter believers' spiritual growth, to weaken our faith, to damage our relationship with God by luring us away from God and into sin. So I'll point out the adversaries. They can be summarized into these three. The world, the flesh, and the devil. There's not one passage that describes it that way other than this Ephesians passage I just read. But Satan used these same schemes against Jesus that he uses against us today. Look at Hebrews chapter 4 verse 15. You know this passage. This high priest of ours understands our weaknesses for he faced all the same testings we do, yet he did not sin. Doesn't mean he faced every single specific temptation you endure, but it means he faced the same types, the same broad categories, the world, the flesh, the devil. Satan tempted Jesus, our fully human Savior, when he was extremely weak. Turn to Matthew chapter 4. We'll spend most of our time in Matthew 4 today, which is the temptation of Jesus. It's found in Matthew 4. It's also found in Luke 4, but we'll use Matthew. It's on page 773, verse 1. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. So I want you to see this. God led his son into the wilderness. God intended his son to face this temptation. Everybody tracking? To be tempted. To be tempted there by the devil. Who led him there? He just fell prey to something. He got tricked. No, God deliberately led him there by the Spirit. For 40 days and 40 nights, he fasted and became very hungry. You ever fasted? Anybody fasted 40 days? I have a friend that did. He... He did drink juices during that time. The most I've fasted is about 10 days um, and five days, a few times. But you get a little weak. You get a little thin. You don't have the same endurance. And Jesus went 40 days and 40 nights. And Satan saw his opportunity. Satan knew. Is Satan omniscient, all-knowing? Is he? No. But he's been around a long time. Can Satan read your thoughts? No. But he has demons who are always watching. So he knows when we're weak even though he's not all-knowing and he's not omnipresent. He's not everywhere at the same time. He's one being, assisted by a lot of fallen angels, demons. Our first adversary is the world. And the world is external, an external temptation to sin. Now, I'm going to begin at verse 5 of Matthew 4 because I want to teach it in that order, the world, the flesh, and the devil. But that's not the temptation that comes first. Verse 5, then the devil took him to the holy city, Jerusalem, to the highest point of the temple. And that, that highest point, it was probably the eastern side over the portico of Solomon. And it overlooked the Kidron Valley And the the historian Josephus said that the, the bottom of the Kidron Valley was 450 feet below. So it was a very, very high peak, high point. And he said, if you are the son of God, jump off. For the scriptures say he will order his angels to protect you. And they will hold you up in their hands. So you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. Now that's Psalms 91. But Satan is using the scripture twisted for a different application. Satan was taunting Jesus. He was trying to lure him into proving his identity as God's son. And so in essence, Satan was suggesting Jesus, if you'll jump and the angels catch you, it will prove to everybody that you're the Messiah. I mean, people were gathered at the temple. The temple was in the middle of the city. People were there all the time. So everybody that was there would have seen this. Seen him jump off this, and then the angel would catch him in midair. So no one will doubt your identity. You'll prove it to them all. But here's Jesus' response at verse 7. The scriptures also say you must not test the Lord your God. That's from Deuteronomy 6.16. It's actually a reference from Exodus 17 when the children of Israel were lost in the wilderness and they are demanding water at Massah. See, Jesus didn't jump because he knew people's faith could not be dependent on sensational displays of miraculous power. Because if he did, the effect would wear off. And so they would then be saying, we need to see another one. I mean, even one of his disciples, Thomas, said that. Show us, show us something. The people said, show us some more miracles, show us some power. He said, no, the only, the only miracle you'll, be, you'll see is the miracle of what? Jonah being raised from the dead. Because there would never be enough. That's just a worldly way of asking. Show us something, show us something, prove something to us. They would always want ever more impressive feats. Feats, you know why? Because they lacked faith. Because they didn't trust God. See, if God always has to perform a trick for you, you don't believe him. You don't know him. Demanding sensational proof reveals not faith. It, it, It evidences doubt. Satan wanted Jesus to be more concerned with the acceptance of this world than the approval of his father. And if Jesus had followed Satan's suggestion, he would have actually separated himself from God's plan, submitted himself to what the worldly people wanted, and sinned in the process, thereby destroying God's plan of salvation, which was Satan's goal. So what about us? Are we more interested in the approval of God or the acceptance of this world? Because you will have to choose. Everyone will have to choose. Some of you have to choose Every day. See, our need is not for God to prove his faithfulness to us. Rather, it's for us to demonstrate our trust in him. To say, You determine my purpose, and I'll follow your plan, not my own. Satan uses enticements of this world to lure us away from God. 1 John chapter 2, flip over there. Page 984. Verse 15, do not love this world. Well, what is the world? Well, this reference to world is talking about life or living earthly life that's indifferent to God's plan or desire and is under the devil's control. Nor the things it offers you. For when you love the world, you do not have the love of the Father in you. For the world offers only a craving for physical pleasure, lust of the flesh in some translations. And lust of the flesh is a reference to normal desires satisfied in immoral ways. A craving for everything we see. Lust of the eyes in some translations. Wanting what we see. Wanting everything we see. Dissatisfied with what God has given us. It's materialism. If, if, If you're obsessed with more stuff, you know it makes a slave out of you. And pride in our achievements and possessions or the boastful pride of life. And you know what that is? That's a desire to be above, a desire to be elevated, to have wealth, to have fame. You know, I've been surprised how many young people Don't speak of a calling to serve in a significant way. I'm not talking about missions necessarily, maybe. But maybe just to be a physician that cares for people or a teacher or or some, some profession, some calling that has some significance in this world. But I don't hear that nearly as much as I hear they want what? What do you think? Wealth and fame. I'm not sure that hasn't infiltrated some of these professions that are caring professions. And the motivation becomes the bottom line instead of your effect on other people. Am I wrong? Y'all think I'm wrong on this? I mean, think about it. When I read this stuff about I just want to be known I want fame how many followers do y'all think Savannah how many followers do I have y'all know how many Barbara how many followers do I have how many you think you gotta answer loud I don't have any followers. I have no followers. So I guess I'm nobody. I've got no followers. I need to make some TikToks or some... Or, you know, I need to style. But I don't know. I don't know if I can. Because you know what? I asked Leanne. I asked Leanne this. I said, I said do you think I have style? You know what she said? She laughed. I said, well, am I neat? She said, yeah, you're neat. But I don't have any style, and even though I know how to raise my heel. But, but there could not be a worse goal in life than fame. There could not be a worse goal in life than money or fame they're kind of connected love of money and this continued these are not from the father but are from this world and this world is what what do y'all see you don't believe that if it's fading away why are you grabbing at it so much along with everything that people crave. But anyone who does what pleases God will what? Live forever, live forever. So are we chasing the world in defiance of God's direction? You have to choose. The problem is some of us are doing it like we're drunk and we're not even realizing that we're making choices to go for the world. And we've kind of just decided, oh, God doesn't care. He wants what I want. Our next adversary is the flesh. Internal temptation to sin. Verse three. Now, this is actually the first temptation listed in Matthew and Luke. Matthew chapter 3. During that time, and this is right after baptism, interestingly, Jesus had kind of had, you know, God identified him. He said, behold my son in whom I'm well pleased. It was a great moment. It was the beginning of Jesus' ministry taken straight into temptation. During that time, the devil came and said to him, if you are the son of God, said it twice, tell these stones to become loaves of bread. Now, the devil knew Jesus hadn't eaten for 40 days. So he knew Jesus was hungry. He was weak. And so he's suggesting that Jesus use his power if he has any, if he's the son of God, he's mocking him, to produce bread. Jesus' hunger was a normal physical appetite of his body. Don't don't minimize that Jesus was fully human. It was was an appetite of his flesh, his, his body. Was it sinful to be hungry? Is it sinful to eat when you're hungry? No. Unless it violates God's plan. Unless it disobeys his will. See, Satan wanted Jesus to act independently of God. He wants us to actually in defiance of him to satisfy his very real, even extreme hunger. Verse 4, but Jesus told him, no, the scriptures say people do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. That's Deuteronomy 8.3. See, Jesus responded that food is not the most necessary part of life. Rather, it's our relationship with God, including His plan for us that sustains our life. And God's plan in this instance was for His Son to set aside His power to perform miracles to show a human can make it just relying on the Spirit, than to rely on God to determine and to meet his needs. But not to satisfy his own physical needs disobediently. And so Jesus was declaring that we must rely on God the Father and, and wait on his provision. Instead of attempting to gain what we want, when we want it, with no consideration or in direct violation of God's word. You think Satan knows the weaknesses of our flesh? Even about us individually and specifically. He knows our physical. Part of the flesh is mental, also. Your your mind is, is fleshly. Your thinking process, your emotions are generated from a fleshly place. We have physical bodies, we have flesh, we have natural appetites and needs. And God has given us appropriate ways to satisfy these natural desires. Hunger, sleep, and sex are all God-given needs. But gluttony, laziness, and promiscuity are sins. Fulfilling a legitimate physical need in an illegitimate, immoral, unbiblical way is sin. But Satan will whisper, God doesn't care. He won't help. If, you, if you're going to take care of this, you've got to do it yourself because he's doing nothing. So do whatever you have to. Take care of yourself. Obtain what you want. And have convinced yourself you need. Do it for yourself. Anybody ever heard that whisper? It can sound like this, well, God hasn't given me a Christian spouse, so I'll just take the one that's available to me. Now, I know none of you have ever done that, but if any of you know someone that that has done that, let me see some hands. Y'all are scared to raise your hands. It doesn't work out well. But boy, there comes a moment, I just, need, I just need someone, I got to have someone, I need someone. And you get the wrong one. And I'm going to tell you what, sleeping in your bed by yourself feels a whole lot better than sleeping in the bed with, <laughs> but oh, I got to have it, I'll just be, I, oh, I'll be whole, I'll, be, I'll have everything I need if I just do this. And yet some of you have lived through agony by taking a step that God didn't tend, but you couldn't trust him enough to wait. If we live by faith in God, trusting him, obeying his word, following his spirit, we'll never lack for anything needful. I mean, that's what Philippians 4.19 says. That's what the Great Commission says in Matthew chapter 6. Seek first his kingdom and all these things will be given to you. You think that's true? You think God's really going to give you everything you need? You think he knows what you need? Y'all be careful saying that. Because some of y'all are doing some grabbing. I'm going to get my own. Do you trust that God knows and will provide what is best for you in His time? But now think I want you to understand what you're saying. see we've made some assumptions that God's word can't be true in our culture. We have an assumption in our culture that Two unmarried people that are dating are having sex over a time or two. It's not true. God can give you what's best, but you have to decide if you want what's best from him or whether you're going to do some grabbing on your own. But it'll separate you from God. Our third adversary, the one who uses other adversaries to tempt us, is the devil. And that's supernatural temptation to sin. Matthew chapter 4, verse 8. Next, the devil took him to the peak of a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. You know, at this time, it was probably Egypt and Rome and Athens and Corinth. May have been some other cities, Jerusalem certainly. I will give it all to you, he said, if you will kneel down and worship me. This was Satan's real purpose, to induce Jesus to worship him by offering him the world. Do you think Satan can actually give away power, fame, fortune? Do you think he can? How many of you think he can? How many of you think he can't? Y'all act scared. (laughs) How many of you are scared to say? I want you to think about this carefully. The scripture says Satan is the ruler of this world. In John 12 and John 14 and John 16. At first John five, it says the world lies in his power. He's the god of this age in 2 Corinthians 4:4. 4, 4. Now is that true or not true? I think he has that power. You know, I see I've been I've been again surprised at how many of these music videos are using this satanic theme, an evil theme. Well are are these Musicians and vocalists, are they actually dealing with the devil? Maybe. Maybe. Because the devil's real. See, we, we, are, we make a mistake if we decide, oh, he's not real. He's real. Has he captured their souls? Maybe. Maybe. You know, I, I'm surprised at some of the things I see. Kanye's singing for Jesus one time and then he's doing this devil thing another time. So who are you worshiping? Can he bestow fame and fortune and wealth? There's certainly some indications he can from the scripture. There's certainly some indications he can. Well, did Jesus have a divine right to rule over the world? Did he? Well, when was he supposed to do that? When? What'd you say? When he returns. Jesus was already granted that he would rule over the world and every knee would bow and every tongue would confess. But it would happen in the future at the second coming. But what Satan was saying is, why would you wait? Have it all right now. Because Jesus knew it was going to be far in the far distant future. And before he arrived there, there would be some tremendous agonizing suffering. But Jesus' response Get out of here, Satan. Jesus told him, for the scriptures say, you must worship the Lord your God and serve only him. And again, that's another reference to Israelites testing in the wilderness. Jesus rejected Satan's offers. He he refused his suggestions because Jesus knew and trusted and loved his father. If you love, you obey, what scripture says. And he, Jesus could not be convinced, even in a moment of great weakness and terrible suffering, to betray the one who would never abandon him. All of Satan's temptations of Jesus and of us are to, they were to weaken Jesus' trust of his father by provoking him to question whether God really loved or cared for him. You ever had God, you ever had Satan or the devil or a demon cause you to question God's love or concern about you? He tempts us in the same ways. He suggests God doesn't care about our difficult situations, our serious problems, our broken relationships, our pain, our loneliness, our suffering, our illness. All lies. All lies from the father of lies. The hater of truth, John 8 says. The hater of God. The despiser of us. Who has promised to meet our needs. Never forsake us. Never abandon us. Never leave us. Hebrews 13, 5. He hasn't promised to cure every problem. He's promised To be present with us in the midst of every problem. Is that enough for us? Do you recognize Satan's offers of shortcuts that require you to reject God? In this series of messages, we're going to learn how to stand firm against the devil's strategies. 2 Corinthians 2.11, Ephesians 6.11. I'll start surveying Ephesians chapter 6, 10 through 20. We're going to look at the full armor of God in the coming weeks. How we can resist the assaults of Satan. 1 Peter 5.8, this is our memory verse this week. Stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, The devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion lion looking for someone to devour. Don't be eaten up. Father, I ask that you would make us sensitive to your attacks, to your assaults. And I pray you would teach us and we would desire to learn how to deflect the attacks of Satan. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.
0: Thanks for joining us for this week's podcast. One way to strengthen inner resolve is to practice the spiritual discipline of fasting. Fasting can be defined as going without or abstaining from something to which you're most attached to for the purpose of cultivating a greater dependence on God. What are you most attached to other than God? Could be food or social media, shopping, work, sports, Netflix, needing to control conversations, anything that pulls you away from an ongoing connection to God. Identify one thing you cling to most when you feel empty or restless. Refrain from that this week, allowing space to listen to the voice of Jesus. At Brookwood, we want to help you pursue a relationship with Jesus so that you can experience a transformed life. And one way you can do this is by getting connected at Brookwood. Email us, connections at brookwoodchurch.org or call 864 8326 to speak to someone on our Connections team. Thanks for listening and have a great week.